Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and debate. This particular edition of the Skewer was recorded live at Chicago's Cafe Mustache on May 2nd, 2018. Do enjoy! She could not be here tonight, so I am hosting instead. If you're one of those people who's like, I like Tom better than Erica, this rules, then like, thank you, you're welcome, what a great surprise for you. <laughs> if you're one of those people who's like, fuck, I like Erica way better than Tom, then I'm sorry to bum you out with this news, but you may take solace in the fact that you are right. <laughs> so before we get to the show, I will read Erica's opener. This is her words. Thankfully, she did not include any long personal, like, sections about what it's like to live as a woman, because I don't think I could have done that the right way. (laughs) So here we go. Hello, skewer friends. I'm sorry to not be here tonight. I'm in Romania, which survived a brutal dictatorship from 1965 to 1989, followed by a subtler dictatorship from 1989 to 2004 and today is governed by the twin powers of kleptocracy and the desire to suck up to the European Union. So I'm currently soaking up survival tips that I look forward to sharing with you when I'm stateside again. On the advice of Tom, thank you, Tom. You're welcome, Erica. While abroad, my husband and I have deleted Twitter from our phones and suspended our accounts as a precaution against having our openly seditious writing scrutinized by customs officers. I would prefer not to be detained in a back room of O'Hare while a crew cut jabs a greasy finger at printouts of my tweets and spittles that I'm not leaving till I reveal the names of my connections at Antifa. And I'd say, but I don't have an Aunt Aoife. I have an Aunt Jill, an Aunt Lori Beth, Aunt Maria, Aunt Pat. I'd be detained for a long time, is what I'm saying. (laughs) My husband, Vlad, is more experienced at surviving authoritarian regimes, so he would probably be detained for less time. But he's also a foreigner, so that means he might be expediently deported, which would be tremendously inconvenient. It fucks me up that we had to pull down our accounts. It makes me so angry and so sad. Speaking of angry and sad, here's some news from last month. In April, Mark Zuck, Erica spells it Z-U-C-K, but in my heart it is always two C's. (laughs) Mark Zuck testified before Congress with his pupils so dilated they looked like black contact lenses. 
Like most of America, I prefer to process his testimony by making fun of his appearance and his demeanor, uh, rather than contemplate the power he has to just ravage American politics and discourse beyond repair and get away with zero punishment because there aren't any senators who know what a web browser is. <laughs> Michael Cohen's home and office were raided and documents and recordings were seized. Michael told the judge presiding over the case that Sean Hannity was one of his three clients, causing everyone to wonder aloud what naughty business Shawnee has done <laughs> that he'd need the services of Washington's mistress whisperer. Michael Cohen is a man whose existence begs the question, how can a person be so sweaty, yet so not slick? <laughs> Bill Cosby was found guilty on three counts of aggravated indecent assault. Hashtag he too will suffer and possibly die in prison. Good. Chris Kobach or Kobach, I don't know. He's an asshole. I don't, he doesn't deserve to have his name said correctly. The Kansas Secretary of State and former head of the White House Voter Fraud Commission, which to remind you was a commission designed to commit voter fraud was held in contempt of court for not following an order to register voters. And House Speaker Paul the Cowardly Ryan <laughs> announced... <laughs> yeah. I saw that, I'm like, I guess that's a good line. But like, whoa, shows what I know. <laughs> Paul Ryan announced that he's retiring, and uh, on his way out, just fired the House chaplain for not including the phrase, God sucks mammon's dick in every prayer. <laughs> you know, I thought that was going to be the one that killed. Whatever. <laughs> Robert Mueller continues to mow over the collusion and obstruction investigation. We all hope it's because he's doing such an ironclad job. And not that this doesn't end like serial season one, spoiler, but like, come on. <laughs> Where Mueller bashfully gets on the mic and he's like, uh, I mean, <laughs> did, did he do it? I mean, shit, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and we're over here like, come on, man, the Nisha call, the June meeting at Trump Tower, the fucking press conference where he asked Russia to hack Hillary's email. I always see right after some big bombshell drops that there's like an attendant story that drops like an hour later where it's like Mueller is also investigating the big thing, which I hope means that he was already on it, but I fear <laughs> means that like he was just eating Fritos in a dark room and he heard some shit on the news and was like, oh fuck, that sounds important. I better pivot to that. <laughs> Yeah. But, then, but then I wonder, as Tom has often wondered, it's true, I have, that even if Bob the Mueller did have an ironclad case, if Cohen had crystal clear tape of Trump and Kislyak discussing, uh, discussing a coordinated campaign of Facebook misinformation and voter suppression, would the House Judiciary Committee actually Vote to, been, vote to begin impeachment proceedings? Would a majority of the House at large actually vote to impeach? Would 66 members of the Senate actually vote to convict? Or would 13 cabinet members plus Mike Pence actually invoke section four of the 25th Amendment? Ah, Jesus, 25th Amendment.
I know words. <laughs> I know some of you are tisk tisking, saying, Erica, how could impeachment be good? Pence is just as bad. He's worse. Well, yes. But let me tell you something about Michael Dick Pence. That Hoosier nerd is not going to win the 2020 election. <laughs> Donald Trump probably will. So if undeniable evidence of treason could be presented to the American public, and yet our government would fail to uphold the Constitution, then what kind of government do we actually live under? Sometimes I imagine that our time and place is Berlin, Germany, 1934. In 1934, Hitler had won the most recent election with 90% of the vote. His new regime required oil, well, loyalty oaths from all those in government service. Jewish actors were forbidden from appearing on stage or film. Jewish book and newspaper editors were fired by law. It was bad and clearly getting worse. But it was pre-Anschluss, pre-Kristallnacht, pre-Auschwitz and Birkenau. There was still time to believe in the magical inertial power of the status quo to ensure everything will be all right. So if the skewer existed in 1934 Berlin, what would I want us to do? The most obvious thing the skewer can do is to keep all of us uncomfortable and informed, but still finding ways to laugh. Laughter was an important part of how Romanians survived the dictatorship. Laughter is a vital part of how we'll survive this, whatever this is. But beyond that, let the skewer inspire you to make loud farting sounds when a large white man on the bus yells, we need the wall. When you see cops doing anything in public, exercise your constitutional right to film them and tag the skewer. Call your representatives <laughs> in. We'll share it, but since we're not like diamond and silk or like saying that Obama is actually 10 Muslims in a trench coat, they won't share it, but that's not important. <laughs> Call your representatives in government, just like you see us doing every month. Most people are cowards. Most people trust in the status quo. Most people stayed home tonight. You're not most people. We got a great show for you tonight, everyone. That was Erica Dreisbach by proxy. We got four op-ed writers for you tonight, and then a dope debate that will absolutely whip ass. But before we get to that, I think it might be fun to play a little fun game, a fun news game where you might win a sticker. <laughs> Usually I'm like, do you want to play? But fuck it, you're going to have to regardless. So let me just welcome Kevin Johnson, the host of the game. <laughs> I'm right here. Very different from how I usually do this. It's usually back and forth. It's like, what the fuck is this game? And then I have to like think of what it is. And it's it's like two truths and a lie, except with fucking headlines, so it actually kind of matters. You know that sort of shit. Uh, so what did you win? You already said you won a fucking sticker. Oh, I don't remember. God damn it, <laughs> fucking dumb. Anyway, anyway. So for this portion of the show, I need a volunteer. Do you want to? She also raised her hand. She's very violently pointing to you. <laughs> violently. No, no, no. Her. Hey, what's your name? Katrina. 
damn, I'm just like thinking about Kanye because of that. Anyway, I know, it's just like, ugh. Anyway, okay, okay. So it's like two truths and a lie. I'm just gonna tell you some stories, and then you're gonna be like, that one's bullshit. You don't have to use those words. (laughs) Potty mouth, you know, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's start this. Man, there's stories on the back. I want her to not see them. You won't get them, though. It's fine. It's fine. Okay. First story. Ancestry.com revealed woman's father was her family's fertility doctor. So he was probably like a little bit of, a little bit of you, a little bit of me. You know, just a little bit of sperm from everyone. Second story. Kim Jong-un brought his own toilet with him to the Korea summit. Hmm. Story three. Hotel forgives guests whose room was trashed by 80s new wave band, A Flock of Seagulls. <laughs> Which one of those is fake? Okay, so the hotel room was trashed by a literal flock of seagulls, not an 80s band. So what's your answer? <laughs> so does that make that one false? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he brought his own toilet, yeah. yeah. I was That was originally in my one that I was like, I'm going to make this one fake. And I was like, this one's already too crazy. I'm going to keep it there, yeah. yeah. All right, so. No, no, no. Oh, okay. You stay here forever. <laughs> this is your home now. All right. This is the second set of stories. Okay. And then there's going to be a third set of stories. Okay. First story. 15-foot statue of a Tide Pod causes uproar among Stockholm residents. Story two. People want to know why Brooklyn Museum's new African art curator is white. (laughs) Story three. French Museum discovers that more than half of its collection is forged. (laughs) Which one of those is true? Okay, so I know the middle one's true. Um, They would. They're like really into it. We like taking charge, raising our hands. It just makes me think of Killmonger, though, and then you just like fucking just. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, okay, so I have a giant Tide Pod statue versus an art museum where everything's fake. At least half. I'm gonna go with the Tide Pod statue. Is the Tide Pod statue? This is usually better with two mics because then you can hear us deliberate. And, but don't worry. Yes, the Tide Pod is fake. Um, so what it actually was in Stockholm is a five-story tall blue penis. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, so I've been doing this for, this is the ninth time, and no one has gotten three for three. I don't want to put pressure on you. I don't want to put pressure on you, but don't fuck it up. Okay. We're so close. We're almost there. Story one. Woman used a taser to give the touch of God to churchgoers, police say. It's a shocking experience. Story two. Stan Lee, you know, the cameo guy in all the Marvel movies. I think think that's literally all he's ever done. Uh, Sues his ex-manager for fraud and for stealing his blood. Story three. Among Fortune 500 CEOs... Women in their totality are outnumbered by dudes named John. Oh. 
Okay, I'm pretty sure that last one is true. If it's not John, it's like Steve or something. So I think that one's right. <laughs> Probably both of them. Okay, so can you remind me what the first two are? The first one's that taser story, giving you that good God. That good God. (laughs) Two, uh, Stan Lee, he's suing, keeping that blood in his body. And that money in his bank account, I guess, also. Both important. No pressure. (laughs) I like to feel some pressure, guys. (laughs) Um, Also, remember, you cannot help. (laughs) Oh, they can't help? No. Can one of you like secretly like signal? No. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with the Stan Lee story being false. Oh, I know. Oh. We were so close to that mountaintop, but you did, you did, you did good. You done did good. Round of applause. You can have a sticker to remember this always. We were so damn close. We were so damn close. Tom, get your ass back on the stage. Let's get this skipper going. Okay, okay, sorry. Yes, okay. I, I, I gotta actually go through that because <laughs> I forgot. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's totally still, uh, suing to keep his blood in his body. Uh, the church goers, they're not getting tased. He, uh, she actually used uh, the taser on her son to wake him up for Easter service, which is weird, right? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> like, wait, like, like a normal kid's son or like, at like, my son's dead, but like, like Jesus, he'll rise again and she tased, or like, it was just like, get up, it's time for church. Yeah, I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah. <laughs> you know, good point, fair. Uh, thank you to Katrina and thank you to Kevin Johnson for the news game. For our first op-ed reader of the evening, uh, Sandy Lee is a, quote, sassy valley girl born and raised in the Chicago suburbs. Sandy graduated from the Feminine Comique Stand-Up Program in 2017 and has performed at A Love Letter to Myself, A Chicago Variety Hour, and Chicago's Storefront Theater and more. Her talents include describing gastronomical experiences in a hypnotic way, finding new and obscure things to do, and teaching others how to time travel. That one sounds cool. Please welcome Sandy Lee. Thank you. Um, So first I want to say, May is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, you guys. Get excited. And uh, now I'm going to talk to you about myself. (laughs) Um, So whenever I first meet someone, people always ask, where are you from? Where are your parents from? Or like, what are you? Not so eloquently. And I usually respond Chicago over and over and over and over again until they get tired or until I give up until they get the answer that they want, which is Korean. And then someone, unfortunately usually a dude, (laughs) will always follow up with, is that North Korea or South Korea? Um, Do they even have Valley Girls in North Korea though? I'm not sure. Um, Are they just, like, so fascinated by the idea of meeting someone from there? And, like, why are they so fascinated? And why does it make me so mad? (laughs) So let's back up up a little bit. Um, Here are some 
headlines during the past month on North Korea. Um, some are super ridiculous, like we just saw in that game. Um, it was announced that North Korea will change its time zone 30 minutes earlier to align with South Korea, which, how petty is that shit right there? <laughs> they were like, you know what? I don't want to deal with you. We're going to just turn all of our clocks 30 minutes later. Um, <laughs> when you're like literally directly north of, okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> another headline. North Korea said it was going to shut down its nuclear testing in May, but it might have already been damaged due to the earthquakes that <laughs> occurred there at the nuclear test. So is it really shutting down if it's already damaged from natural disaster? Like, I don't know how that works. Next headline. Um, North Korea and South Korea met for the first time since 1953 in hopes to end a war that technically never ended, but it has been an armistice or truce. That's like if you dated someone and you, like, never had the courage to, like, actually break up with them. And so technically you've just been with them for the past 15 years. <laughs> Um, Kim Jong-un is the first North Korean leader to enter South Korea since 1953. That is a long-ass time. And finally, Moon Jae-in, a.k.a. the South Korean president, is saying that Trump should get the Nobel Peace Prize. What the fuck? That, these are all real, you guys. Um, for those of you that may not know, you might be like, well, how do we get two Koreas in the first place? So real quick, as a result of the Cold War, Korea was split in half. Soviets controlled the North, and Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-un's grandfather, became the leader, and the U.S. took over the South at the democratic election. So it's a nation led by a communist dictator versus a nation led by people believing in democracy. And so now you're probably wondering, well, what does that have to do with me? Me as in Sandy Lee, not you, because it's my time, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm Korean-American. I was born here. But my parents immigrated here from South Korea. And my Korean-American experience means that I went to Korean church and Korean school on the weekends, where we learned about Korean language, culture, and was really my only glimpse into what a Korean community would look like. We learned about Kumgangsan, which is Korea's most famous mountain, which just so happens to be in North Korea, and also how North Korea had all these amazing natural resources, which kind of now seem like fables. Um, and I predominantly, or grew up in predominantly white neighborhoods and went to public schools all my life. So I participated in like youth group and church during high school, um, surrounded by other Korean Americans. I can read, write, speak Korean. I watched Korean dramas, listened to K-pop, but I never really had any close Korean friends. I related that culture, but there are still certain aspects that I just don't really connect with. Um, and that are kind of in conflict with my American side. The way like women are supposed to be um, in Korean culture versus American culture is just really different. Um, it seems like American women are supposed to be very thin, very beautiful, very demure. Whereas like American women are more portrayed, a little bit more sexy, more independent. Um, I always felt like too tall to fit in with my Korean friends and I didn't really care as much as other girls about how I dressed and I always felt too American. Korean-American culture in the suburbs um, sometimes felt super competitive or superficial, and it kind of was. Um, kids were not only getting good grades and extracurriculars, but they were also fighting over which Kate Spade bag they had. Um, and when I visited Korea, I'm always told that I'm either big or fat, even when I was at my skinniest, and that my Korean is good for an American-born, but not good enough. 
So to Americans, I look like foreigner because I'm not white, even though I was born here. And I've been fighting this idea of model minority, and I haven't really felt like I could speak up. Um, I felt out of place. I stuck out no matter where I went. And so I really embraced other cultures. For example, black culture through hip hop and fashion and TV shows, Latin culture. I have a Spanish major, and I can teach you bachata if you need me to, you know? And white culture. Uh, my pop culture rivals TMZ. Uh, I, I hung out in malls every single weekend. And where else do you think I got this white girl, valley girl voice, you know? Um, it's a strange feeling, though, because even though um, I'm Korean-American, I still root for Korea in the Olympics or the World Cup, and I still have this like weird loyalty and pride, even though it's a bit removed, because I wasn't born there, I didn't grow up there. Because whether or not I relate to it or like it, that's how other people see me. There's no escaping it. Even as a Korean-American that, that didn't feel like I fit in, I still never saw the separation of North Korea versus South Korea. I see it more of it as like a political or like a regional difference. To me, North Koreans are kind of like that cousin that really lived far away, has a weird accent, calls pop coke, and was maybe raised in a cult, or at least with completely <laughs> different values, you know? You share the same blood, but have lived vastly different lives with wildly opposite worldviews. You know, Koreans, we all speak the same language, even if the slang is different. The food is regionally different, but the basics are the same. There's rice and kimchi and panchan, which is like side dishes. Quick side note, if you haven't been to Korean barbecue, you need to get out there. <laughs> okay, like live, please. Get some karabi, short ribs, um, see what you're missing out on. Um, so growing up, I was kind of told that we might even have family that's in North Korea that I've never maybe met. And my whole family has been like dreaming about this idea of unification of Korea for a really long time and whether it's been, uh, and whether or not it's possible in their lifetime. And maybe that's kind of why I have this hard time understanding this new fascination. So here we are, 2018. North and South Korea are actually in talks to unify the Korean Peninsula. And part of me can't believe it, um, but I'm like so excited at the possibility and probably won't believe it until I see it actually happen. Honestly, I don't even know what that would look like or how it would work. Um, one thing I do know is that I'm very hopeful for the future. Um, but can we talk about Trump taking all the credit? <laughs> like the conflict has been going on since the 1950s and I won't even call him a Cheeto because I love Cheetos so much. You know? <laughs> but if you think about all the people that got through to Kim Jong-un, it's literally Dennis Rodman and Trump, you guys. <laughs> um, a Nobel Peace Prize though? Like maybe this is literally the one positive note to his presidency because he's definitely not bringing peace to his own country by refusing to acknowledge women or people of color or even benefiting his voters. He's that kid in school that stole all your credit for the presentation by showing up the day of and pretending like he did everything. <laughs> and yeah, you might have gotten a good grade on that one project, but then he also simultaneously threw the whole group under the bus. <laughs> Can someone win a peace prize for work in another country while being a leader that incites hate through racism and discrimination in their own country? And yet, part of me is thankful to him for his efforts uniting Korea, which makes me really conflicted. Thank you, Mr. President, for this one thing and one thing only. You will still be held responsible for the rest of your actions during your presidency, though. So I was wondering why I was getting so mad whenever this situation comes up. Um, and there's a few reasons. 
As a person of color, I'm sometimes like a gateway Asian friend. <laughs> I'm, the one, I'm the one that has to suffer through the ignorant questions or comments. I have to go into teacher mode. Sometimes these like strangers or new friends ask about Asian norms and what or how I think and test their perceptions of what Asian people are like. I'm tired of teaching people. Why does that have to be my social responsibility? At this point, I'm thinking of putting together like an FAQ website, like, so you made an Asian friend? <laughs> so I don't have to answer these same questions over and over again. And sometimes maybe it's really coming from a place of earnest, like curiosity and honesty. And if it is, then maybe find another way to pose those questions. Like, buy me something first? <laughs> or I don't know, Google that shit? <laughs> or maybe pay me in cash because I'm tired of being the gateway Asian friend. From now on, no money, no honey. I'm not answering all your ignorant <laughs> questions. You gotta pay me cash up front. Um, and at the same time, there's this like weird responsibility um, because if you're the first Asian friend, you and your experiences and interactions somehow represent and define the entire Asian population. Even though the thought of that alone is so fucked up. <laughs> and part of me does want to inform others. Like the more we share our experiences, the more we can relate to one another and the closer the world will be. Um, I gotta admit, I cried three times while watching Black Panther. <laughs> it resembled my Korean American experience in ways that I've never really seen in film before. So I do wanna share and inform others of my um, perspective. However, my experiences, culture, personality, upbringing, character, as a female Korean American born and raised in Chicagoland are unique to me. And they may or may not be close to what other Americans experienced. It took me a long time to figure out who I am. I was a Korean American, still working on it. <laughs> and maybe it's time that I get rid of the burden of being the model minority and actually speak up. Because at the end of the day, we're all trying to fit in and have our voices heard. So fine, I guess I'll be your gateway Asian friend and go to Korean barbecue with you, but you're buying. <laughs> and if you ever have said something racist or asked someone where they're from, really from, or asked where their parents are from, or said something horribly insensitive, maybe please Google that shit or refer to my forthcoming FAQ site and really think again about doing it again next time. And maybe instead create positive energy and pay it forward. Like literally in cash to me at Venmo, Sandy Lee 21. Um, shout out to Millie for that amazing idea. And also stop asking me if I'm from North Korea. Thank you. Keep it going for Sandy Lee. Thank you so much. Our next op-ed reader is fucking me. This is one I wrote. Erica wrote the one before. This is, this is me. You can tell because it's going to be dumb as shit. <laughs> Y'all, I'm here to talk to you about Nancy, not Pelosi, the comic from the newspaper. As of this April, Nancy is good. Granted, good might be a strong word. <laughs> but, like, the strip has jokes in it now. The jokes make sense. They have setups. They have punchlines. For newspaper comics, this is fucking monumental. <laughs> Some background. Nancy debuted in 1938, a year you may recognize as the past. <laughs> 
as written by its creator Ernie Bushmiller, it was a huge hit in its day with its bold, simple art style and surreal, goofy gags. You may be thinking, like, hmm, that Bushmiller guy is probably incredibly dead. You are right. <laughs> Since his death over 35 years ago, four artists have written Nancy, and Lord, did they ever make it shitty. <laughs> You see a lot of these shambling corpse comics on the comics page, your Dennis the Menace, your Family Circus, your Marmadukes. These comics whose creators are just gray bones in a grave. <laughs> the strips now little more than just animatronic skeletons with their ancestors' rotting skin draped over them, endlessly going through the same motions. Whatever a creative spark that made people love them in the first place so thoroughly doused, you can't even imagine what it would have been. Nancy, as written for 22 years by Guy Gilchrist, sucked ass. Lord, it blew. I had to read a lot of Nancy comics for this piece. And, and while I'd love nothing more than to just read a bunch of them out loud to you, my friends and family have begged me not to. Suffice it to say that Nancy under Gilchrist was a comic about how much Nancy loved to trick her vagrant friend into loving the Lord. And her huge boobed aunt complaining that Richie Valens isn't on the radio anymore. I cannot stress enough to you how deeply upsetting and jarring it is to see a fucking fetish-level pin-up babe like Nancy's Aunt Fritzy in the newspaper-ass comics. Nancy is drawn with, like, three circles and dots for eyes, and it, her aunt's brimming yabos are drawn with the fucking obsessive detail and total disregard for human anatomy of, like, some weird Italian comics your French teacher had. The amount of times that Aunt Fritzy is just draped across the couch in her frilly nightwear, hair fallen messy but not too messy over her face, as she wonders why fucking Bonanza isn't on prime time anymore, is criminal. Like, literally any time Nancy isn't looking directly into the camera and talking about respecting the troops, Gilchrist is like, all right, I know why you're here. I know why you're all here. Strap in, fuckers. We're on the express train to Titty Town, population two. This is, the, this is the train going between her titties. This is the titty train. Anyway. It's weird. In February... Gilchrist retired from the strip after a truly terrible series of comics where Sluggo, an absolutely unfathomable avatar of Depression-era poverty whose only character trait is that he's poor in the 30s, was visited by his two trucker uncles who told him to love the Lord and who also convinced Aunt Fritzy's boyfriend to marry her. And thus it was so. The titty aunt got married. Sluggo wept for love of the Lord. I wish I were not telling you the truth. God, it sucked. 
And for a while, no one knew what would become of Nancy. The newspapers just re-ran old strips for a few months, but there was no news. And then this month, a new artist was announced, Olivia James, the first woman to ever write the strip. Yeah, okay, I'll take that. Andrews McNeil syndication president, John Glynn, said in a press, conference, or press release on April 6th that they had been looking to shake up Nancy and, quote, once we saw her first batch of samples, we knew the munificent and sweet hand of destiny had led us to find Olivia. Which, like, whoa, dude. <laughs> you are the president of a newspaper comic syndicate. <laughs> Slow your roll. Although, on the other hand, I kind of respect the game. <laughs> and folks, that's when it went nuts. It went crazy. Yeah. With, a, with a new author, actual jokes, no fetishistic deference towards the 50s or the Bible. <laughs> and notably, as of this writing, no appearances from Aunt Fritzy. The backlash was fierce. The AV Club, Boing Boing, Comics Beat, and even the New York Times all published articles about the fierce, hostile response the new, the new Nancy was receiving, citing comments at gocomics.com as embodying the furious anger with which readers were rejecting the reboot. And honestly, folks, I was surprised by this. We're all relatively well-informed. We like to think we have a strong handle on the discourse. I know I do, because I am a white man. And it is thus my favorite thing in the world to sit in a huge chair and go, I am a genius, and then watch 1,000 hours of anime. <laughs> you, you know. And honestly, it, it truly blew me away that there was this much backlash about Nancy. I figured, like, if I polled 100 people I knew would you be mad if Nancy changed? I would get 100 responses of, do you mean Pelosi? <laughs> but check it, a 2017 survey found that there are 78 million regular readers of the newspaper, newspaper comics section. Their average age is 65, and while our culture does a lot to silence older people, that's still a shit ton of people who have been slurping down what Nancy has to offer for decades. It blew me away that anyone would give a shit about Nancy, because I'm in a bubble. The numbers, if you look at them, are clear. A lot of people give a shit. I just don't see it. And that got me to thinking about a lot, about the QAnon conspiracy, about white nationalism, about how probably a solid third of America thinks the Parkland kids are actors. Like, it all sounds so absurd, so much like the crazy racist cousin of yours on Facebook who you roll your eyes at and dismiss as an irrelevant loon. Well, I mean, no. His dumb ideas are the dominant political thought in the country today. You can't assume you know how the discourse works. You can't assume you know all the factors at play. You can't discount things just because you think they're weird and dumb. Sometimes people flip their shit if Nancy changes. <laughs> I couldn't conceive of that very real truth. What else can I not conceive of? And this was going to be the main thesis of the piece. But then I found something else that changed things. This next part is actually unrelated to anything and does not advance my thesis, uh, but I'm already up on stage. You, <laughs> you have to listen to me. Uh, so I will now take this opportunity to talk to you about Heathcliff. 
clip is a single panel comic about a fat orange cat, and it is the most book wild shit of all fucking time. It, like Nancy, is being drawn by some other dude after its creator died, but unlike Nancy, he just decided to get real fucking weird with it. The jokes in Heathcliff, in addition to being extremely bizarre, are also absolutely fucking incompetent, which makes them a thousand times better. (laughs) A running joke is that the cat, Heathcliff, who doesn't really have a personality because he doesn't say anything or do anything, uh, Heathcliff will wear helmets with the names of food written on them, most notably the ham helmet. What is the helmet for? Lord, if I knew, I would tell you. (laughs) There's one strip where he's sitting in the deli, wearing the ham helmet, and the deli owner says to a woman, don't order ham, that's it. (laughs) Don't do it, don't order ham. Another time... Another time he's sitting with a ham helmet near a family having a meal of ham. And one of them says, he's wearing the ham helmet. Again, I am leaving nothing out. That's it. Another strip is literally the exact same fucking scene except he's wearing a helmet that says gravy. And the text is, Wait for it. You you won't believe this. The text is, he's wearing the gravy helmet again. (laughs) Buddy, he sure is. (laughs) I could and want to spend the rest of my time describing Heathcliff's food helmets, but I will move on. The entire strip exists in this surreal haze where nothing makes sense, partly because literally... All written dialogue in this comic is just like a bird in a tree telling another bird exactly what's happening in the panel with no editorializing. Which is wild as hell on its face. But here's the thing. The artist is lazy as shit. And he barely draws open mouths on the characters who are talking. So half the time, it's not clear who's speaking. Further just dunking you into this abyss of absolute confusion. I have been reading Heathcliff since I began this piece, and I recommend you do too. The first one I saw was of three mice, each running on a big wheel of cheese, uh, past Heathcliff, as a guy in the background said to whoever, the Gouda gang rides again. I was like, fuck yeah, I love that shit. Give me more of that shit. I read a bunch more, going back in the archives, but nothing quite hit the same high as the Gouda gang. Until, until I saw, over a month earlier, the exact fucking same illustration, with the caption, they call themselves the Gouda gang. (laughs) Folks, he fucking set up the Gouda gang. in advance and what a payoff a fucking master line him up and knock him down that's how comedy works folks take notes (laughs) 
Anyway, back to Nancy. I was going to end this piece by going like, just goes to show that there are powerful opinions out there you probably didn't consider. Uh, but then I actually went to gocomics.com, the place that all the articles cited as the epicenter of the backlash. I read the comments on nearly every strip Olivia James has written so far, and folks, the overwhelming reader consensus on the new Nancy is... It's clever and fun. Wow, how neat. <laughs> I mean, there are some negative comments, yeah, but like nearly all of them are about how James has a less detailed art style than Gilchrist did, which like, hey, fair, she does. Everyone has different opinions on comics art. I myself think literally all superhero comics look like utter trash. <laughs> different strokes. Attacks on Olivia James herself or the content of the strips, though, are like extremely rare. And they're almost all from the same user. SMSM, a man who 100% yanks his hog to the titty ant. <laughs> and is fucking furious that she has not appeared yet, but is also absolutely terrified that when she does, he will not be able to get a satisfactory J.O. to James's version of her. To be fair to SMSM, he started by hiding it under some plausible deniability, and I quote this comment. Sorry, but the appreciation of Gilchrist's work was not because of some stereotype of being an inferior, non-progressive, or dinosaur wishing for the good old days of making women feel uncomfortable by, e.g., leering at their breasts. Gilchrist presented values that are equally present today, but are often afraid to be presented because of being labeled a non-progressive dinosaur or drawing a beautiful woman who was more beautiful inside, but not done because of fear of backlash from those who think if a man draws it based on some evil sexist misogynist attempt to degrade women. <laughs> Which is a lot, but... As he became even more desperate, SMSM just started laying it all on the line. I quote a later comment. I hope the new artist continues the above-mentioned heartfelt beauty and not afraid to be politically incorrect and offend a few men-hating feminazis by portraying Fritzy in beautiful outside and inside manner. <laughs> Love to call a cartoon character's incongruous and bizarre bust-size heartfelt beauty a very normal move. <laughs> and we laugh at SMSM because he's hilarious. But the real thing is that the reaction to Nancy is hugely positive. Like, I've been reading Nancy every day. And, like, it's not gut-busting, but it takes two seconds and it makes me smile. I like doing it. According to Andrews McNeil, Nancy averaged about 200,000 views per month before Olivia James took over. And now her strip peaked at 400,000 in a single day. People like this. And I get why it was reported the way it was. Like, it's a juicy story to frame it as, like, bad thing gets good, but dumb old people are bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I thought that's what it was, too. This piece was originally a variation of that. But it's not what's really going on here. The, the point, my buds, 
is that the old calcified fossils that rely on their massive inertia to loom over our lives long after their relevance died, these things that no longer add anything of value to the world but have been in the background so long that we just assume they have to be there, these institutions that we can't ever remember not being the way they are, they can change. And while some people may scream and howl and want to honk their dong to the titty ant, the change will be good. People will like it. People's lives will improve. It can happen. It has happened. It will happen again. In this metaphor, Nancy is capitalism. Thank you. For real though, read Heathcliff, it's so fucked up. <laughs> anyway, before we move on to op-ed number three, I'd like to welcome back to the stage for another round of the fake news game, Kevin Johnson! <laughs> uh, unlike you, when people see me, they never ask where I'm from. <laughs> anyway, I need another volunteer. Someone. That person said no. Anyone? Omar. Who's Omar? Yeah, yeah let's go to the wire, bitches. No, no, no. I guess. T- wait. Okay. You don't know shit. That's a good start. That's a good fucking start. What, what's your name? First question. My name's Omar. There's there's like a podcast happening. Also, they like record it, so I figure I should like put your name on the mic and all that shit. That's Tom. All right. Yeah, he wants to be hospi- uh, hospitable. That's what I'm looking for. All right. First story. J.K. Rowling says there's a door to Hogwarts at the Damon Blue line. Is that true? It's true? Or is it? Because, like, technically, either way, it's not true, because Hogwarts doesn't... Like- Whatever. Anyway. Um... Second story. Hotel staff throws away artist sculpture that had a sign stating, please do not throw away. (laughs) Story three. Somewhere in the world, a substitute math teacher is accused of running a student fight club. (laughs) I kind of want all of those to be true. Um, J.K. Rowling, I feel... Damon Blue Line? What was she doing at the Damon Blue Line? She has no business at the Damon Blue Line. I think that's got to be bullshit. I I like how Omar knows everything she's ever fucking... She has no business there. (laughs) How how dare she? She wouldn't be seen anywhere near the the Blue Line. Mm. Mm. Uh, So actually, that happened on Twitter. She didn't even have to be there. That's how fucking magic works, man. <laughs> so the, the sculpture one was the fake one. It was actually like an empty Happy Meal box, and they just tossed it because it's fucking trash. <laughs> I, hopefully they recycled or something. I don't, I don't even know if you can recycle. It's probably like waxy. You probably can't. Whatever. Anyway, your second set of stories begins now. Argentinian officers fired after claiming mice ate half a ton of missing marijuana. <laughs> Good job. 
Second story. Two kids in a trench coat claim to be a detective and, and bought beer using a voice modulator. Yeah. Hopefully they didn't buy it from a detective, because that'd be pretty cool. Uh, story three. Swedish meatballs are actually derived from the country of Turkey. Confesses the national Twitter account. Ooh, it's your nemesis. Twitter. <laughs> so are Swedish meatballs not Swedish? Are two kids in a trench coat buying alcohol? Are mice? Uh, well, they're not actually eating them in that story. Did people get fired because mice weren't actually eating marijuana? Um, so the Argentinian officers definitely got caught for stashing away all the weed. Um, I don't think anything happened about the mice. Um, the Swedish meatballs, though? Swedish meatballs have got to be Swedish. Who's claiming that they're not Swedish? <laughs> Again, it's your arch nemesis Twitter. The national Swedish Twitter is just being like, no, these aren't. But, but, like, Sweden's Twitter account. So, something of that nature, yeah. <laughs> Confessed, really, I guess it would be. It would be a confession. He says, no, Ikea is on lock with those fucking Swedish meatballs. <laughs> so you believe the two kids were able to purchase beer? All right, I guess, I guess those two kids... Actually, no, that did, that did not happen. The kids... As far as we know, in the headlines that I have looked at, no kids were able to purchase beer by standing on each other's shoulders wearing a trench coat. Uh, the, the Swedish meatballs are actually from Turkey. I guess like a king like went to Turkey long ago and he was like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do this. And they stole that shit. That's cultural appropriation right there. <laughs> ah, man. All right. It doesn't matter, man. You're on stage, and that's what matters. He's, he's volunteering. That's good. Okay. Third set of stories. Journalists' children take over the White House press room. One boy asking Sarah Huckabee Sanders if she'd help change his underwear. <laughs> Second story, Tammy Duckworth becomes the first U.S. senator to give birth while in office. Yeah, yeah, it's just a freebie. I want everyone to know that. Third story, a Chinese baby was born four years after their parents' death. Well, that last one happened. I read about that. Okay. They died in a car accident, so that's true. Um, the second one's also true. The first one is false. That's a process of elimination right there. <laughs> yeah. You fucking did it. All right, so yeah, uh, that, that kid in question actually asks, why did you drop bombs on another country? <laughs> yeah, no filter, bitch. Anyway, I'm also giving you one bonus question. It's a true-false. Okay. Kanye West says, 400 years of slavery was a choice. Is this true or false? Unfortunately, true. Wait. What? For, wait, you're saying slavery was a choice? No, I'm saying that Kanye said that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. That, okay, all right. We, we, got, we, I, we got to the answer eventually. 
that, yes, Kanye did say that is true. No, Kanye did say that that is true. The slavery being a choice. I think it's false. Don't, we got it. I, 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 got, I got where you were going, and that's, that's the journey. We, we got there eventually. Also, I want to let you know that Kanye is actually making a movie called 12 Years of Choice. It's going to be cool. Anyway, so you get yourself a nice skewer sticker. Thank you for coming on the stage, Omar. Thank you. We're going to welcome back Tom. Thank you, Kevin, for round two of the game. And thank you to Omar. Also, Omar, like, I have recorded, like, hundreds of hours of my dumbass voice. Would you like to dub all of it? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, then never mind. Uh, Our next op-ed reader. Is a three-time skewer veteran. She lives in Humboldt Park with her cat, Lulu. By day, she teaches technology to truckers and other big machine operators. By night, she tells stories and crochets. Please welcome to the stage, Nora Regis. this one up. These are the words of Mark Zuckerberg, but not at last month's congressional hearing where a group of 44 lawmakers, whose average age is 62, queried a CEO about a range of topics. The Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal, Russia's meddling in elections, and questions from Ted Cruz like, what is a friend request and why won't anyone accept mine? (laughs) No. These are the words he said in a half apology addressing the outrage after the debut of the news feed in September of 2006. For those of you fortunate to not be on Facebook during its college-only days, or for those of you who are blessed enough to forget, let me describe to you what it was like in the summer of 2006, right before the news feed came out. Facebook was essentially a directory of disjointed member profiles with walls where you could write each other messages. At the top of the profile was this timestamp that told you when a user last updated their profile. And then there's also this page that was just a list of these timestamps. From there, you could click on your friend's pages to try to discern what the change was, but like, that's it. (laughs) There were no statuses, there's no ability to like anything, and no share button. People tried as best they could to express their truest selves with the limited text fields of personal information and favorites. The most fun anyone could have was the about me and favorite quote sections where people could signal coolness through cultural markers like Velvet Underground lyrics and Anchorman quotes. (laughs) You were able to upload photos, but you had to group them into albums. And this was cool, but it meant that you needed to have a friend with enough money to have a digital camera since they weren't on phones yet. And then that friend had to like you enough to want to take pictures of you for some reason. <laughs> and then they had to have the patience to upload everything and tag everyone, because they're like the one friend that has a digital camera. <laughs> we were already totally addicted to it. So when I found out that a boy I was desperately in love with, Ben, had started dating this girl, Stephanie, over the summer, <laughs> I immediately went to her profile. And by immediately, I mean left the party crying and went to sleep. Woke up, went to class, ate lunch, and then finally was able to get to my library's computer lab and fire up Facebook to find this Stephanie. 
Stephanie was objectively beautiful. She was thin and blonde and doing this very cool thing where she didn't capitalize any of the letters on her profile. <laughs> she also had like 20 photos more than anyone I knew. And two of them were of her in a bikini on a fucking boat. <laughs> I was transfixed. I'd stare at her profile, waiting for the timestamp to change, waiting to see what new and possibly cool indie band she'd list, watching for a change in relationship status. And that fall, I got a job at our university's IT help desk. It was a lot of waiting for the phone to ring, which meant there was a lot of time on Facebook and a lot of time to monitor Stephanie. I clicked through all 20 of her photos. I clicked on the profiles of the people that were tagged in them every day. They all seemed rich and exceptionally well-dressed. At one point, I realized I was witnessing her friend group go through a breakup of two integral members, and there was a flurry of activity. Anchorman quotes gave way to eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, <laughs> and a relationship was deleted and now left blank. It was becoming a lot to keep up with, so on a particularly slow day, I'm like, I'm not proud of this. I mean, I kind of am now because I'm telling you about it, but <laughs> I created an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> I listed all the people I was looking at. People I hadn't met, mind you, but could easily run into. Their timestamps, the number of friends they had, the number of photos they had. I told no one about it. I was disgusted with myself for being this obsessed with these people, but at the same time enthralled with how illicit it felt. It wasn't even about Ben dating Stephanie anymore. That had petered out after like three weeks. It was just like this weird, gross, vaguely sociological hobby that I had. And I expanded this sheet to include people that I knew that I wanted to keep tabs on and people that I just met. If a friend had a crush on a boy, I guarantee you I had the lowdown on him. <laughs> it was sick and I was ashamed, but I also could not stop. It was like I had discovered something secret about Facebook and it was intoxicating. So later that fall, it, I was in the computer lab, firing up Facebook like any other day, and then there it was. Everything I'd been tracking neatly compiled into something called the newsfeed. Jack added two photos. Jill changed her quotes. Michelle and Jared broke up. I felt very hot and dizzy. <laughs> Everything went white. I managed to run to the bathroom in time to puke everywhere. I had never felt more exposed, and I was having what I'd later learn after years of therapy is a panic attack. <laughs> but it's weird, because like it's not like anyone found my spreadsheet, right? Like, had that happened, I'm sure I also would have been sick over it. But this was different. This is like somehow worse. This was Facebook saying that they had my Excel spreadsheet, had it the whole time, and Mark Zuckerberg could do whatever the fuck he wanted with it. Lying on the bathroom floor back in 2006, I obviously had no idea what Facebook would turn into or what the repercussions would be any more than I thought Donald Trump could be president. But I could recognize the potential in the newsfeed feature. And for a brief moment, I had a glimpse into the future, and it was terrifying. Backlash to the newsfeed was swift and loud. People were upset about the loss of control, and to placate them, Facebook came up with a genius solution to make it seem like it had given us the power back. 
It gave us privacy controls for the first time. After Mark Zuckerberg declared, we really messed this one up, he explained that users now have the ability to control what info went to the newsfeed by selecting the audience. He then, for good measure, reminded everyone that all of the information shared when the newsfeed debuted was always publicly visible, had some creep been bothered to track it all of it the entire time. But, <laughs> like, you know, if you don't want your stuff broadcasted in the newsfeed, it's fine, whatever, no problem. Over time, the newsfeed changed from a place where you caught up with what was happening with your friends on the internet into a place where you learned what was happening on the internet from your friends. With every action that we took on the platform, Facebook tracked it and added it to their proverbial spreadsheet. And every addition made it more powerful. Even if you weren't on Facebook, your friends were supplying enough data about their lives that Facebook was able to create shadow profiles for non-users. And should you join one day, all of that information's just right there waiting for you. This has even become true for babies. New parents, eager to share updates about their little ones with their family, can use a tool called Scrapbook, where they collect all the photos and statuses of their kids, and then when that kid's older, they can take that data and turn it into their profile. If I'm a creep for tracking Stephanie, what the hell do we call Mark Zuckerberg for tracking babies? <laughs> I mean, creepers are gonna creep, but like, what the hell, guys? <laughs> 12 years later, Zuckerberg is still apologizing, this time to Congress. From Russia's interference in elections, to Brexit, to ethnic cleansing in Myanmar, and racial discrimination in housing ads, Facebook had a hand in all of it, and Congress wanted answers. All of these topics are incredibly serious and deserve time and attention, but because lawmakers were only given five minutes for questioning, and because they're old, and because there are just so many different ways Facebook influences people's lives, the discussion was all over the place. Like seriously, we could be here all night. But ultimately, it boiled down to one question from Republican Senator Dan Sullivan from Arkansas. Is Facebook too powerful? Zuckerberg, being a robot, responded <laughs> with a non-response. But the answer is obviously yes. So how can we take control of Facebook? Well, this month, the General Data Protection Regulation will go into effect in the EU, and European users now have the right to own their own data and the right to data portability. That is, the ability to take the information of your friends list and use it on a different platform. Being able to upload your friends list to other apps would allow new social startups to have a fighting chance at becoming a competitor to Facebook, which would finally give us a real choice to leave Facebook without leaving our friends behind. Our robot overlord knows that the only reason we haven't left is because there's nowhere else to go. So, is Facebook going to comply with this regulation? Well, Mark explained it all to Orrin Hatch, age 84. Yeah. And would you believe, Facebook already does. Just kidding. I mean, <laughs> yes, Facebook technically, legally complies with this regulation, but not in the spirit of it. It's true that you can use the download your information tool to download your friends list, but it becomes formatted as a useless text document. Names are divorced from anything useful or identifiable, and good luck if any of your friends have the same name. Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg testified that Facebook is open to being regulated, but offered no specifics. My fear, as the Cassandra of Facebook, is that Mark Zuckerberg will take the Cam Cambridge Analytica privacy scandal and the privacy concerns that it brings up 
and use it to cement his already considerable power, just as he did with the newsfeed. In fact, he has already signaled that this is his plan. Last month, when Cambridge Analytica was able to get the data in the first place, asked how they were able to get the data in the first place, he told Recode Magazine, I was a little too idealistic on the side of data portability that it would create more good experiences. And it created some, but I think what the clear feedback from our community was is that people value privacy a lot more. And they would rather have their data locked down and be sure that nothing bad will ever happen to it than be able to easily take it and have social experiences in other places. Yeah. See, technically, it's our fault for assuming that a personality quiz wouldn't two years later lead to the election of a white supremacist. I mean, we did consent to it. Thank God we have Mark the Patriarch here because the only way to ensure our data is safe on Facebook is to keep it on Facebook. In 2006, we were like frogs being boiled alive. We couldn't really feel what was happening to our information, but anytime we came close to figure it up, figuring it out, there's Mark, ready to say he's listening to our concerns, and here are some more ways to keep your information safe. Safe from who is never really specified because it would beg the question that maybe the person we should be keeping it from is from him. I mean, he really messed this one up. Thank you. One more time for Nora Regis, everybody. Thank you. For me personally, I'm only still on Facebook because I have to make the skewer Facebook events. So in a way, how dare all of you? <laughs> Our next and final op-ed reader of the evening, uh, Lily B, is a mama, nanny, and storyteller, the creator and host of The Stoop, a truly fucking fantastic monthly storytelling show at the legendary blues bar Rosa's Lounge. Now in its fifth year, Lily B is an accidental artist, now living a life of storytelling purpose. She lives to show people the importance of owning your own story and telling your truth. Every performance she does, person she inspires, class she teaches, is just her way of paying storytelling back for saving her life in 2010. Lily B is living proof that there is no bad from which good cannot come. Please welcome the stage, Lily B! I need to shorten that bio to just badass bitch, and that's it. Let me be a badass bitch. Um, oh, let me lower this. Okay. So I'm about to make y'all uncomfortable. Um, and Sandy, I've been charging white people for emotional labor like forever. Like on Facebook, the minute they want to get into a comment war, now that you can charge them money, thank you, Zuckerberg, for that one. Um, I just send them a bill for like. 500 and then it'll go down until it's like five cents and they they haven't even paid the five cents which you see white people don't give a fuck all right so my piece my original piece was also going to include barbara bush but then i'm like you know speak ill of the dead and uh and she dead so none she can do anymore so um, so instead of just barbara bush uh barbara bush and starbucks i'm just going to talk shit about starbucks on uh, May 29th, Starbucks will close 8,000 of the company's US-based locations to train 175,000 employees and address implicit bias, promote inclusion, and help prevent discrimination. 
the CEO, some white guy Johnson, said <laughs> that they will be conducting racial bias education geared towards preventing discrimination in our stores. For those of you that don't know, on Thursday, April 12th, a video surfaced showing uh, Philadelphia police officers handcuffing and removing two men from a, uh, two black men from a Starbucks store while they waited for a friend. The white girl behind the counter saw the men hadn't ordered anything and reported them uh, to the police, and they were arrested for trespassing. I can't, y'all. Like, like, I can't. Look, this shit ain't new. Like, we all know that the, the, the technology that we're using to catch you motherfuckers, that's new, right? But being racially profiled while in a white neighborhood or a white store or a white business or any environment that looks like Paul Ryan's Capitol Hill intern selfie, <laughs> that shit ain't new. Racial profiling, implicit bias ain't new. We're just catching y'all doing it and, and y'all can't handle that shit. Well, a majority of white people can't handle it. If, if you watch the video, you can hear some of the white people in the video asking, what did they do? Which for real is, is sweet of y'all, but I know y'all ain't gonna stop it. That's the part of me that gets annoyed by, like that gets annoyed. That's the part that I'm annoyed by, the part where y'all wanna help by doing the bare fucking minimum. Asking why to the cops ain't the same as demanding their badge numbers or better yet, how about interfering? I mean, oh my God, I get, I get moist at the thought of five white men and maybe a couple white women standing, <laughs> standing in front of two white cops defending a person of color. Oh God, I, I've only seen this phenomenon once in my lifetime, like during, in like one period in my lifetime. And, and real talk, that's from, it was when I grew up in the hood on the west side of Chicago, Homo Park. I mean, I was, by the age of nine, I was well-versed in gang culture. And in Humble Park from about 1987 to 99, the area that y'all know as Ukrainian Village, uh, to us was just white Humble Park. That's it, it was just a, a white Humble Park. Because that's when the east and the west side of Humble Park uh, housed rival gangs. On the east side, a majority of the park was Puerto Rican, but they had the little pockets over by Augusta and California where white people lived. And on Augusta and Kedzie on the other side of the park, it was mixed. Like there was a, a blocks of little pockets where it was black and Puerto Ricans. All Puerto Ricans, either white or black, they were all mixed. The neighborhoods were mixed. The little pockets were mixed. The gangs were mixed. So on Augusta and Cali, you had Ukrainians and Puerto Ricans representing MLDs, like Maniac Latin Disciples. Didn't even that matter that they were like Maniac Latin Disciples and Latin Kings. I knew a, a black Latin King named Peanut and a, and a Ukrainian MLD named Alex, or Lex, uh, Alexander with a K. <laughs> it was during this time growing up in Humble Park that I witnessed the beauty that was a white dude defending a black and brown family or a friend, no joke. I saw this shit at barbecues, on stoops and parks, on the block. It was incredible. Like, I once saw Lex, no joke, Lex, fight his own blood cousin for talking shit about Carlito's sister. Carlito's was a, another MLD and Lex was all like, wait till your sister gets old enough, I'm gonna fuck the shit out of her. And Carlito's was like, all right, bet, keep talking shit. And uh, Carlito's told Lex, Lex was like, hey yo, why you talking shit about my boy's sister? And his cousin was like, I don't give a fuck what you say, uh, fuck you, and then Lex beat the shit out of his cousin, just beat the fucking brakes out of him. And you, you know what, his cousin, 
went upstairs, iced his whole fucking body and face, and never disrespected Carlitos or any of us again. I mean, that was that was it. Gang justice, hood justice. No one called the cops, mainly because they were smoking and drinking. But even if the <laughs> but even if the police were called, Lex would go to jail. Carlitos would bail him out, and then his cousin would drop the charges. Come to court date, wouldn't even show up. Case dismissed, and he'd still not fuck with us. And I wish. I saw this type of justice in any fucking way today. I wish I could see any of my white friends stand up to their racist-ass grandmas when they ask me what I am or tell me I don't look Mexican. When I'm profiled in the store, oh my gosh, I would love it if a white person so stole something on purpose and then had their white friend trick on them. Like, I could imagine. Like I do, I fantasize about all kinds of little fucking scenarios, fucked up scenarios, and this is one of them, because I spend a lot, a, lot, a lot of time picturing this shit. Like, I imagine the clerk approaching me and, and very suspiciously asking me if they could help me, and then one of the Beckys in the corner would be like, excuse me, my friend over there is stealing a protein shake or a bar, because it's got to be believable. If she's holding, if she's holding flaming Hots, we all going down, I'm a complice, and that's not going to work, but... But then I imagine that even if we did get caught together, the Beckys would take the fall. And let's say she is holding the shake. Let's say like, oh, the, the clerk turns around and she sees the Becky holding the shake and thieving and holding a shake. Real talk, I think, I think that bitch's head would explode. Especially if like the Becky she turns around to see is like a Lincoln Park Becky and not like a Humble Park Becky wearing Georges and shit. Like, I, I, think they, I think that she wouldn't even know what the fuck to do. Because there isn't a little button or, or on the register or phone with, a, with like a white person stealing on it. Like I imagine there is one for us when we walk in. I feel like that white woman would go home and hopefully reflect on her bigotry and then maybe come back to the 7-Eleven the next day and just go easy on us. Or at the very least, and, and let me tell you, this is the only time I'm okay with the very least. She also becomes suspicious of other rich white women, and then it's an evenish playing field in this 7-Eleven. <laughs> and I know, y'all, I know this shit sounds crazy. But we're living in crazy fucking times, and white people thinking that asking the police officers at the Starbucks why they're arresting two black men is them, is, is them stepping up is insulting to me. Because y'all already know why. Y'all just acting brand new. Like y'all brand new to racism. Racism. After the incident at the Starbucks, they interviewed people. Like, well, what'd you see? What'd you hear? And, and, and these people were like, we all wondered why they were being kicked out for doing the same thing we do. And I was like, really, bitch, really? <laughs> Fuck out of here. Y'all really wanted to know why. White people, stop, stop. Stop acting like you don't know why. Stop acting like all you can't do, like you all can't do anymore. Stop acting like y'all don't know what to do. That's the part that kills me. Y'all act like you don't know what to do outside of talking and writing a well thought out letter or, or op-ed. <laughs> I'm a petty bitch, I'm a petty bitch. Everybody gets it. I mean, cause I know what I'm asking sounds crazy. Stepping in, doing something, like maybe getting hurt, getting in trouble, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Like, so, if standing up, and let me sidetrack real quick, your protests are lame, they ain't doing shit to help us, stop fucking planning them. Like I was saying, if, if stepping up for us or stepping in ain't your cup of tea, 
then lie for us. In the same damn ass scenario at Starbucks, the same fucking witness that said he saw the two men and that they did nothing. First of all, you was watching him too, bigot. But anyway, in that same scenario, had that white witness been like, oh, look, officer, we, they were waiting for me. I was over here. They were waiting over there. We didn't see each other. Chuckle, chuckle, let them go, right? I mean, because if they could ask why, they can lie. And if y'all are all Eighth and Ninth Amendment, depending on the Bible, commandment, right? Like Eighth or Ninth Commandment, y'all don't want to lie. If y'all can't fucking do that, then act fucking crazy. Real talk. I mean, get together, act fucking crazy together for, for, for us. I don't give a fuck. If you really, really see the injustice and don't understand why, but know deep down in your cold, privileged hearts that it's not right, then go fucking crazy for us. Start singing happy birthday or sing or, or, or some shit. Like, break out into a fucking flash mob of princes like, I would die for you. Like, for real. Do something. Do fucking something besides live to tell about it because I just fucking can't anymore. In some fucking article about this same shit, the CEO was quoted as saying, I spent the last few days in Philadelphia with my leadership team listening to the community, learning what we did wrong and the steps we need to fix it. That's like white dude Johnson. (laughs) And I'm like, bitch, what? You had to take your leadership down to the slums of Philadelphia to talk to the community to understand what went wrong? Racism. That's what the fuck it was, y'all. Racism. It's been racism. Mr. Johnson has seen it before. He may not have experienced it because I'm sure all his fucking friends are white and, uh, and I'm sure like he's probably just heard about it, but he's heard about it. He's heard about the racist ass shit that has happened, maybe not even to people, but to other fucking big ass companies. Call them out, call them out. Just other big ass companies that have been accused of some type of fucking discrimination or racism. Just anyone, call them out. Dove, Chick-fil-A, yeah, exactly. We can call him out. So as a business owner, old man Johnson, he, you mean to tell me he didn't like see that shit in the NASDAQ and be like, hmm, I should see how we handling this race shit. Uh, I don't want to lose my millions. No, nope, they don't fucking think like that. They only give a fuck when they get caught. And when they get caught, they do what every fucking body does. And that's the bare fucking minimum. Closing 8,000 stores and taking a financial hit of $12 million to train people on how not to be bigoted is the bare fucking minimum. Here we go with another fantasy, y'all. I imagine that old man Johnson matches his loss of $12 million and donates it to us. Or, or even less the two men arrested for waiting, Rashawn Nelson and Dante Robinson, decides who gets it. That, oh my God, makes my imaginary dick hard as fuck, yo. Because I, for one, would be like, damn, Starbucks, you a G. You just beat your motherfucking pockets up for thinking some bullshit about your people. No different than my boy in his backyard beating his fucking cousin's ass. White man Johnson could even anonymously donate that 12 million to one single black mother or person and then lie about it, but claim it on his taxes. (laughs) And he could also do something fucking crazy, like just gift all his black employees a Starbucks that they could own for a year and just keep the revenue. I imagine him turning over to his CFO one day and saying, you know, Scott, they want to call me racist. I'll fucking show them racist. I got, I got 26,696 stores. I make $4.2 billion.
million motherfucking dollars a year, bitches. I'll give every black employee I have a Starbucks for a year and not lose shit. And then Scott's racist ass would be like, that would ruin us, they would ruin them. What about all our white employees? And old man Johnson would be like, I don't give a fuck. (laughs) And then he would make his CFO, Scott, write a check while he played James Brown's The Big Payback in the background. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You see, I know that why people want to like see past color and, and stand up to oppressive behavior. And I know that they can do it because I've seen it. But I feel like I've seen it come from like the white people that white people consider traitors to their race or that have been banished from their barbecues, pretty much. Because I know they're out here. I know that the few Lexes are out here. Most, however, are just young old man Johnsons doing the bare fucking minimum, acting brand fucking new, watching us go through this and not understanding why. As I said, I can't anymore, for real. If y'all ain't giving us resources, really stepping in, like taking a bullet, stepping in, lying for us, or, or straight up going fucking crazy, I'm not gonna provide you with a fucking iota of credit, nope. And Starbucks doesn't get a fucking cookie for taking the day off to tell people they should stop being fucking bigoted. However, if during these meetings, that bitch Jane Elliot Elliot pops in and makes all these white people feel like they were black people for a day, now that shit, that would be crazy. Thank you. Here we go for Lily B, everybody. Thank you. Holy shit. It is truly amazing that Starbucks is like, the solution is to inconvenience the minimum wage fucking workers. Anyway, Kevin Johnson, fake news quiz, round three. Let's do it. Get up on the dang old stage. I already got this set up. I thought I, I thought I'd all fucked it up. All right, you know how this works. I need a volunteer. Also, why are the lights blue now? That was really fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> Just like I don't know, someone, anyone. Wait, did you did you did you did you raise your hand? You raised your hand. No 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 no. Did did you? You don't. Okay, you did say yes. Okay, because she really doesn't want to go. But if you already well, you can get up here. Get your ass up here, boy. Hey. What the fuck? All right, what's your name? I'm Dylan. Dylan? Hi, Hi Dylan. Dylan. You gotta tell the mic, otherwise. Yeah, it's louder when it comes out of the mic. It, it is louder when it comes out of the microphone. Yes. All right, you know how this works, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Well, we are gonna start. First story. A company offers lingerie inspired by award-winning series, The Crown. Mm. Mm. Second story. Former Trump attorney Michael Cohen. I think he's former. Is he still? I don't know. Whatever. (laughs) Wins a victory over the quote-unquote taint team. Mm. Mm. Third story. The IRS payment site crashes just hours before tax day filing deadline. Which one of those is true? 
Oh, actually, which one of those is fake? Two of them are true. I fucked up. Which one of those is fake? Okay, is I was fake. testing you. One is fake. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Lingerie inspired by the crown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Cohen winning over the taint team. <laughs> <laughs> I like saying that. Uh, or three, the, the IRS's tax fucking website went down on the deadline. Like a Broke this? No. Okay. A taint team, really? Just I, I haven't heard that term ever. <laughs> it's captured me, but I feel like I also don't know what the crown is. If that would be like a super inappropriate lingerie brand <laughs> kind of thing. Like if you had said Handmaid's Tale, I'd been like, okay, <laughs> that's real. And then, um, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. The lingerie being the untrue thing. In, in a weird twist of fate, it is false. No, you are correct. You are correct in that it is false. The weird twist of fate is that, yes, there is lingerie inspired by the handmaiden set. So, I guess it's more like sleepwear. I don't know. It's, it's fucked up either way. Don't, don't put those two things together. That's weird, right? That's fucking weird. Yeah, don't endorse it. Do not endorse it. Um, all right, your second set of stories, and I have to remember to give you the mic when you are talking, otherwise people can't hear you. Um, man hospitalized with brain disorder after eating the hottest pepper in the world. <laughs> Goddamn. Second story. Speaking of the crown, actually, uh, Queen Elizabeth celebrated her 92nd birthday by being serenaded by Sugar Ray. Whoa. Do you know that band? Oh, yeah. I, I guess she's got nothing else to do. Um... Third story, a man was hurt after wrestling a public nuisance ram for 10 minutes. You know, the animal with the horns. <laughs> All right, well, I know the pepper thing is true. Um, I wasn't the guy who ate the pepper. So I don't know, like, firsthand that it was true. That guy could just be, like, a little bitch about spice. Um, I'm going to say that... I'm going to say the ram thing isn't true. Let me grab this mic real quick. Uh, no, he totally fucking wrestled that ram for 10 goddamn minutes. That ram is a nuisance. It's just been going around the town just, like, attacking people, and they're, like, getting really hurt. And they jammed him up for that? Like, he got in trouble for being the baddest ass? Uh, no, he didn't get in trouble. He just got hurt. <laughs> <laughs> he got in trouble with the ram. Yeah, he got in trouble with the ram. Um, uh... The, the Queen Elizabeth did not listen to Sugar Ray for her birthday. She, asked, she actually listened to Shaggy of It Wasn't Me fame. Um, him, him and Sting are putting out like this weird reggae album. It's terrible. I tried. I really tried to listen to it for like half a second. It's, it's fucking terrible. But that is a thing. Uh, so please go home and listen to that. Uh, or don't. Whatever. It is on Spotify. Yeah, sure. Um, okay, your last set of stories. First story. Beloved internet, or early internet game Neopets was actually run by Scientologists. <laughs> Did I make that up? I don't know. Actually, I do know. You don't know. Second story. With ingestible pill, you can track the fart development in real time on your phone. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Third story. 
In a letter to a sex advice columnist, a reader wrote that his son had been playing with his sex swing. Mm. If you don't know, there's Google. Uh, was he riding that sex swing? Are you tracking your farts in real time? Are the Neopets from the Scientologists? Okay, you don't need an app to track your farts in real time. The human body is good at it already. I didn't say if you needed one. <laughs> That's fair enough. There's no way Neopets were started by Scientologists. I just, I can't live in that world. Oh, but you do. <laughs> oh, but you do. Am I clear from my time with Neopets? Uh, do you still have a Neopet? Is that possible? <laughs> Fuck if I know. I guess they're bringing... I still have my Thetans. <laughs> okay. Can you lose Thetans? I don't know, whatever. Anyway, so all that shit's fucked up. Everything's <laughs> fucked up. So there wasn't a little kid playing with a sex swing or anything weird like that. It was actually uh, this dude's 16-year-old son that had stolen his crucifix-shaped dildo. That was the one I thought was for sure true. <laughs> uh, it only got weirder. But thank you for coming up to the stage. Tom's going to give you a nice sticker so you can remember your time here. Uh, yeah. I'm going to have Tom come up and introduce this motherfucking debate. Correct. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Dylan, for being in the news quiz. There you go. Uh, before we go to the uh, debate, there are a few things I want to bring up. One, we're selling the Skewer Best of 2017 book. It is a delightful book. You can buy it. It's got a bunch of words that were written by people who were on the show in 2017, as the title would suggest. Uh, also, buy drinks from Cafe Mustache. They let us be here, which is really cool, I think, personally. Also, if you're like, man, the performers sure are radical, I, sh I would love for them to have dollar bills. There's a donation bucket. You can put a dollar bill in it, and it'll go to the writers. We split it. We split it all up. Anyway, that's all. Next, on to the debate. Let's get our debaters up to the stage to do a debate. The first debater is an actor and performer in Chicago. You can catch her tearing it up with the Manson Family Players, performing improv and sketch comedy at various venues around Chicago. She's also a featured special guest on my RPG comedy podcast, Shuffle Quest. Please welcome Allie Reed. Hello, Allie. Usually there's two mics. Everything's, everything's goddamn ruinous now. <laughs> Bumping into people's trash to me. Our other debatant is a Chicago comedian and former speech team participant. When not performing sketch and improv throughout Chicago, she's usually screaming. Please welcome Roxanne West. Yeah, they got both their debaters. What are they debating about? That's a great question. I'm going to answer it right now. 
This April, the Justice Department released J Jimmy Comey's redacted memos. And in these memos, it confirmed that in January 2017, the president was fixated on the Steele dossier. And in particular, the unforgettable, bedwettable, heard about it, now regrettable Moscow 2013 prostitute P-Tape. Comey wrote that the president insisted there were no prostitutes. Obviously, this means the P-Tape is real. The question then becomes, how should we approach viewing the P-Tape upon its inevitable release, both for our sanity as individuals and health as a culture? Allie, what are you going to argue for? I'm going to argue that we should throw a massive viewing party and all watch the P-Tape. <laughs> Roxanne, what's your, what, what are you going to argue? I'll be arguing that we should put magnets on our computers, destroy all our worldly possessions, and walk directly into the sea. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. All right, the way the debate works, you both have five minutes of opening statements. I will come back on stage and yell weird questions at you that you'll have to answer, and then you'll get one minute of closing statement. Who wishes to go first? There you go. I do. There you She's go. Going first. <laughs> Thank you, Roxanne. To be honest, I'm sort of confused about the basis of this entire debate. I mean, in Trump's own words, this tape is phony stuff. It, it didn't happen. And he's a logical guy. He's the one who asked Comey to investigate the tape in the first place to prove to everyone what Trump already knew, that it couldn't possibly exist. That being said, what are we gonna do when the tape is released? <laughs> I say we fucking party. And I don't mean just the 30,000 of us in this cafe mustache. Or even the three million more tuning in on the podcast. I mean everyone. All of America, let's finally come together all in one room and celebrate. Y'all can come to Chicago because I thought of it first and I don't really want to travel. <laughs> Look, it's our responsibility to make the video of the year the event of the year. And Kanye's paying so you know we're going all out. I'm talking t-shirts that say, which way is the bathroom? And it has a little bathroom guy on it and the guy's orange with just a couple wisps of hair. And also, he's ordering Mexican children to get off the t-shirt. <laughs> Or, or squirt guns. Ooh, or, or don't pee on me flags. Or do pee on me flags. I'm not totally sure. The important thing is we've got options. And no, to answer the question your eyebrows are asking, it wouldn't be weird to watch the tape on a big screen with your friends and family. I'd like to remind you that this tape depicts Trump ordering prostitutes to urinate on a bed the Obamas had slept in. It wasn't sexual. If anything, it's a reminder of Trump's childlike wonder and his love of pranks. It's a rare moment in history when the entire country can unite as one to gaze upon the physical embodiment of manifest destiny. Albeit indirectly, Trump marked that bed, and he marked it for America. This is a symbol of American freedom. It means we can do anything we are no longer confined by the first weird idea that occurs to us. We get to dig deeper. 
Get stranger. Tune out that voice in our head that's asking, is this totally necessary? But the revolution can't start with us. It has to start at the top and trickle its way down. Someday we will all be able to order prostitutes to urinate on the beds of the men whose lack of legitimate flaws prevent us from adequately sullying their reputation publicly. But today it's Trump's turn. Give the man his damn moment in the warm yellow sunshine. You guys, Putin has been watching this video for half a decade, and look how it has brought him and Trump together. Putin loves Trump. There's got to be more to this tape than the smutty Cliff Notes version we've been getting. Like, does he Jim smile at the camera after he orders the prostitutes to pee on the bed? Or maybe it's not even an order. Maybe he does, like, one of these and then says something like, Ah, oh, gee whiz, Mrs. Prostitute, it sure be swell if you'd whiz over there. <laughs> Adorable. <laughs> and honestly, thank you to Putin for keeping this from us. It, it wouldn't have been cute in 2013. But a lot of things don't get cute until at least five years later. When I was four years old, I locked myself in a Wendy's bathroom because it was one of the push the button to lock, pull the handle down to unlock, and I thought it was a push the button to lock, push the button to unlock. And when I couldn't get out, I screamed bloody murder, and my dad somehow rescued me. But I still refused to close the bathroom door when I peed for the next entire year. So trust me. I have experience with urinating in front of a crowd. I'm not just making this stuff up. And people were very vocal about how they didn't want to see me on the toilet. And that they didn't think it was cute. But telling that story five years later? Well, nobody ever said it was cute, but probably they thought it was cuter. I would now like to focus in for a moment and speak directly to the one person who is not yet convinced by my argument. That's right. If you don't agree with me, you are outnumbered by everyone else. Your views are fringe and don't make any sense. Don't bother panning around. Everyone is rolling their eyes at you. And there you are thinking, oh, this P-tape is disgusting and indicative of a huge abuse of power and the odd privilege Donald Trump has afforded himself. I don't want to support this by attending a bath viewing party or by watching it at all. And that is where you are truly missing the bowl, uh, boat. <laughs> the beautiful yin and yang of the P-tape is it can be whatever you need it to be. It functions as both a celebration of America and as a glowing example of how horrific, petty, and disgusting our president is. Come celebrate while you scoff. Maybe this is the final straw that's going to take him down. Probably not. But don't you want to be there just in case? Live tweeting your little heart out? And fine, if you really can't stomach it, no matter how you justify it to yourself, then fuck, I don't know. Uh, pretend it's Alec Baldwin. Yeah. All right, great. Look, friends, let's cut to the chase. The P-tapes are real because this world is a carousel of nightmares that we can't get off. And we're not even on the moderately fun horses that go up and down, but like a big, dumb, stationary swan. That's our reality. My opponent believes that in order to cope with these P-tapes, as a nation, we should celebrate. And while initially, while many of us might, that might be the response, 
There's a great American tradition for when things get existentially difficult. Drowning. <laughs> you know that beloved fa phrase, uh, when the going gets rough, we destroy our worldly belongings and walk into the sea. Yes. It is a hallmark of classic American literature. From what I remember about Kate Chopin's The Awakening from reading it in high school for fun because I have always been a lonely piece of work. <laughs> a housewife and mother tries to explore her life's potential beyond the constraints of her given societal role, realize that she cannot because this world is a prison, and walks into the sea. Also, if that spoiled the ending of The Awakening for you, my apologies, but also that book is 120 years old. <laughs> also, it's not like The Awakening is Westworld or The Sixth Sense where your enjoyment hinges on specific plot points and twists. Like, I knew the picture of Dorian Gray involved a gross-ass old painting way before I read it, but I still got a lot out of it when I did. Look, I might be biased. My personal feminist hero is the sea. <laughs> no one is more sex positive than the sea. The sea has no gender binary. We literally have no idea what kind of creatures are down there because the, keep, the sea keeps on going, you do you, bitch. <laughs> P.S. Here's a cucumber that can have sex with itself and a shrimp that can see like 32 colors because they deserve it. <laughs> and truthfully, there will be nothing to celebrate once these P-tapes come out because there will be no consequences. And maybe your Seth Abramsons and late night talk dudes will giggle and party at Donald Trump's embarrassment. But at this point, if you're not a straight cis white dude, you know that he's not going anywhere anytime soon. When the Axis Hollywood tapes came out, I remember so many people saying that there was no way that anyone could vote for him. There was no way he was going to be elected. And specifically, I remember having to look my dad in the eyes and say, no, I don't think so. People are still going to vote for him, and I think he can still win. I knew from personal experience that just because a guy is an admitted rapist and batterer, that doesn't mean that the world won't bend over backwards to make sure he gets everything that he wants. And let's say he does leave office. There have already been lives lost because of this election. Families torn apart. Irrevocable damage has been done. So maybe while walking into the sea isn't strictly an American tradition, but one for American women especially. All right, so at this point, I was planning on having the song American Woman blast, and I was gonna shoot off a t-shirt cannon with shirts that just said give up. <laughs> but I moved last weekend, guys, and honestly, I don't know where the cannon is and which box, and it was a whole thing, so just pretend like that actually happened. Just imagine I did all of that. All right, now that you're all, now that you're all enjoying your shirts, courtesy of our sponsor, Cafe Press. Cafe Press, we make shirts and don't ask questions. <laughs> of course, I understand that not every woman thinks and acts like a monolith. There are problematic women for sure, like the one everybody's talking about. There's always showing off her asshole, only looks out for herself, and is way too sexual. You know, my parents knew Cat Pepper. <laughs> This uppity slut thinks life is just one big party. Eat, eat, eat. Play, play, play. Yes, we do see eye to eye on some issues. We both scream when we're horny, eat garbage, and are always accidentally falling asleep in a sunbeam. But women 
to women I do not appreciate, for example, when I'm sleeping and she mistakes my arm from some kind of small creature that she needs to kill and then give to me because I'm some dumb honky bitch that can't hunt. Well, newsflash, Pepper, you're the dumb honky bitch because that's my fucking arm. She can purr all she wants, but her actions are what make her problematic. Like Bernie Sanders tweeting that Cardi B is right about Social Security so that he can look cool and hip. When days before he voted yes on SESTA, S-E-S-T-A, a bill that has already hurt and endangered sex workers. So a former stripper is all right to use for clout, but the current sex workers in our country are not worth protecting by one of the few people in our country that have the direct ability and authority to do so. He literally could not be bothered to do his bare minimum to help an already vulnerable population. Again, a lot of words and noise but no real action of consequence. But in the sea, no one can hear you disappoint a nation. (laughs) And you don't have to listen to people laugh and party and celebrate when you're let down again and again by a world and by people that you love that keep breaking your heart. Thank you. Spirited opening statements all. Who, who, who could be the who could be the victor? We we just don't know. I'm stalling. Here are the questions. Roxanne, the first question's to you. Your proposed solution means that we all, the good people, die in the sea. But Donald Trump and his cowardly, you might even say yellow, family get to live. How is that fair? Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your question and your candor. And I would like to pose your question with another question. How do we know that death isn't great? (laughs) For starters, Donald Trump won't be there. And a lot of other great people are there. Prince, David Bowie, a lot, my other cats, before Pepper. (laughs) Let's give it a shot, folks. Well put. Allie, a question for you. So the P-tape, which is real, is likely to match the format of similar compromat in that it will be grainy, out of focus, and probably without any sound. So how do you propose we enhance the tape to satisfy the HD, you might say, streaming expectations of a 2018 audience? You know, I think that there's enough anticipation for the tape that people are going to meet us a little more than halfway. But we do need audio. That's, that's a definite for sure. And I would say we would bring in George Clooney. Probably. Everybody that did Madagascar. I feel like they covered that well and they could add a lot of color to the P-tape. Um, and besides that, I think we want to leave it as it is. It's a beautiful exhibit, period. So I'm here in Madagascar 4. Have there been four? How many Madagascars have there been? Well, it's one more. What? Not enough. <laughs> well, there's going to be one more, and it's the feet tape. <laughs> Roxanne, I got a question for you. Isn't there a chance, just a, just a tiny dribbly dribble of a chance, that the P-tape could end Donald Trump's presidency and do what the pussy-grabbing tape could not? And if so, 
wouldn't it be premature to give up on this life? I'd like to answer your question with another question. <laughs> Again, how do we know that death isn't great? Again, yeah, he is impeached, but we still live in a world where he was elected in the first place. I don't know if I want to be around here for that for much longer, so let's go in the sea, folks. It's better down to a sweater. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> I could easily make a, make a fallout joke about pee and wetter, but here's the thing. I'm not that clever, so I couldn't think of the words up. I was just like, there's something there, and then I went up to the mic, and here we are. <laughs> Allie, if everyone's watching this tape, no one's going to be watching our children. There's just to say children, you know, all the children. Anyway, how do you propose altering, moderating, or otherwise presenting the P-tape so that viewers of all ages can watch it with minimum permanent damage? Childproof that shit. I think this is something that Snapchat has set us up for very well. So as long as we situate the dog filter over the pee stream, um, I think we're good. I think just like a series of dog faces, it's going to be weird, but, but I think that if they're young enough, they won't ask questions because they can't talk. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair. The dog face is funny. Um, so I have one question remaining that I want both of you to answer. Whoever wants to go up first, just, just fucking rock it on the mic. Don't even wait. Just come up to it. Anyway, an oft-overlooked aspect of the bed pee is that it was an act specifically intended to desecrate a bed where the Obamas had slept, a detail which is so gross and so Trumpian that it absolutely confirms that the tape is real. <laughs> Once the tape leaks, how can we ensure that this very stupid and very vulgar incident does not impact the legacy or public memory of the finest first couple in living memory? How do we protect that legacy? It's just pee, folks. I mean, yeah, it's epic because it's Trump, but I think we've all peed in some beds. And I don't think that that desecrates any of those people. I mean, it's funny and it's cute, but it's not, it's not going to bring him down. I mean, he has that cool Bush picture, like where he's in a Bush, not President Bush. Um, he's going to be fine. Uh, building on that point, I, you know, the Obamas are from Chicago. And again, it's a weird point that Trump desecrated the bed after they were in it in a public space. So technically, any of us might have left a bodily fluid after the Obamas have slept in. If we've ever been in any sort of hotel in the Chicagoland area, that they might have also stayed. Um, also, I would, again, for those of us who, not us specifically, have experienced drone warfare, but would call into question you know, the actual legacy of the Obamas. And if desecrating a bed is actually going to be the worst part of that presidency. Just want to just want to add that Erica wrote these wrote these questions. So if anyone if anyone's saying it's not woke, it's not my fault. This last just like a white man <laughs> dodging responsibility. Anywho, 
Time for the closing statements. Allie, you went first last time, so I believe, Roxanne, it is your turn to go first for the closing statements. Look, I know what you're thinking. Hey, that opening statement was spent mostly sexualizing the sea and then roasting an eight-month-old kitten who hasn't even reached full development as a cat yet, which is a creature that at its intellectual peak is still not great. <laughs> yeah, well, because one, Pepper is truly my number one problematic fave. <laughs> I love her, but that doesn't mean we can't still have a dialogue. And two, I do not want to talk about these P-tapes. None of us should, aka the point I've been debating this entire time. <laughs> Honestly, it's like the sun that we should not be looking directly at. It's just kind of sad and brutal and bad. We can't get distracted by P-tapes and Russia and that one doctor that looks like if Steven Spielberg got a cameo part as the one cool adult who gets jazz. <laughs> in a movie that looks... In, in a movie about white teens having a beach party and maybe solving a mystery or learning a lesson about race. We have to keep fighting. And when yet another multi-billionaire spends money on some space toy instead of, and not clean water and flint or just their own damn taxes... Uh, when people you thought got it actively defend someone who only causes harm because, hey, isn't there good in everyone? And isn't it just as bad for you to be mean? When a known pedophile runs for Senate, is endorsed by one of our two major political parties, and only loses by 1.7%, which was considered higher than we could have hoped for for that state. When people like Comey... <laughs> when you need a rest... The sea will be there <laughs> until we destroy it through overfishing oil spills and pollution. Just remember, if there's anything to be learned from Honors English Lit, any story that begins with a party ends with death and or water imagery. <laughs> Thank you. We are at the precipice of the fake news era. A mystical time when someone can deny having done something and then be celebrated when the video evidence emerges of them having done that exact thing. This is truly tremendous. Believe me, it's huge. I mean, we could finally hold him accountable for engaging in behavior that would not have been acceptable for any previous president. Or we could throw a killer party. So, yeah. I mean, of course, we would all rather be seeing Obama's weird sex tape, but maybe we didn't, as a country, earn that. So we better as heck be grateful for the splashback we're getting. Hashtag blast. This is our chance to get down in style for a good cause. Because at the end of the day, isn't it better to get pissed on than pissed off? Thank you. It's, it's all happening. You can't unhappen. Uh, so, a delightful debate all around, but there can only be one victor, and a victor of what? Well, this delightful skewer, which is very, like, dangerously sharp. I poked my hand with it earlier, and you'd think that that means I wouldn't 
touch it more, but no, I touched it more than ever. Um, and also, it's a delightful sparkly thing at the end, so you know it's a trophy. But only one of these delightful writers who, who entertain you with laughs can go home with it. And the way we're going to decide that is by applause volume. Kevin, do you want to, you're, the, you're, in the, you're in the place where the person I gesture to usually is. Would you like to be the impartial judge and determine crowd volume? Yes. No, that was a question to you. And I said yes, you can. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> the way you can is just do it, idiot. <laughs> so, if you believe that the winner of the debate arguing for Washington the P. Dave in a huge party was Allie Reed, please applaud right now. If you believe that the winner of this debate arguing for walking into the sea and drowning instead of watching the P-tape uh, was Rock 10 West, please applaud right now. <laughs> Kevin, who is the winner? Roxanne. It's I'm making a police reference, it's Roxanne. <laughs> Roxanne, congratulations for winning this delightful debate. And thank you to both Roxanne and Allie for being fucking hilarious and good and writing the, the, the delightful jokes that pleased you so. And folks, that's it. The skewer's over. That's all that we got. Thank you for coming. We got books for sale. We got a podcast. We're back next month on, I think, June 6th. If that's the first Wednesday, that's when it is. Anyway, I've been Tom Harrison. Thank you for coming. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you liked what you'd heard, uh, consider coming to a live show every first Wednesday at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. If you want to be on the show, uh, consider you know emailing us at skewerchicago at gmail.com or just sending us a Facebook message. Or if you just want to like fucking like the podcast, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us a review there if you want. And also tell some of your buds about our, our good podcast show. It's fun. Um, and that's all that we got for you. We'll see you next month. Bye.